verse 12, then you got to say so. All right. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but, there, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you so very much. For this day that you have given us, for the privilege and opportunity that we have to come together today. And we thank you, Lord God, for your presence that is here. We thank you for your love that is being poured out afresh in our hearts this morning. And we ask you that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today. That we would not just hear idly, Lord, that we would not just add knowledge to the knowledge we already had. But, Lord God, that we would grow in our faith in you and our obedience to your word today, Lord God. Remove distractions from our minds, captivate our hearts, and may you be glorified in the preaching and hearing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Um, if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you one. Um, as always, I want to remind you that, uh, that, it, the, that it is you are a disciple of Jesus. And as a disciple of Jesus, you should be helping someone grow in their faith. Um, you should be growing in your faith as well. And so you should, I encourage you to sit down with someone throughout the week. Uh, sit down with them. Share with them what you are learning. Um, share with your family members as well what you are learning. I was encouraged the other day um, talking with someone and they were telling me that that's something that they are actually practicing. So I'm like, well, praise the Lord. Someone is practicing what I'm talking about every Sunday, right? The same exhortation that I give you. Um, and so they're doing it, right? They're sitting down. They have a time where they have some coffee and they just go over the scriptures. And so I encourage you to do that. It will help you grow and it will help someone else grow in their faith. And so as you have your outline there, you'll notice again that we are continuing in our Roman series. Uh, we are in chapter five, which we started last week. And like
like I told you, we were going to break this up into two portions. And so last week, what the Apostle Paul talked about was the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. This week, the Apostle is going to address our identification or our identity in Christ. And today, we are going to talk about the basics of justification. If you recall last week, we spoke about the blessings of justification and all of the different blessings that come from God making peace with us. And this week, we're going to look at the basics. And so if you look at your outline there, it is important that we never forget the basics. How many of y'all know that that's important, right? For anybody who's been in the military, right, they have something called basic training, right? Like that's an important place to be. If you don't go through basic training, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up out there, right? Because you don't have the foundation necessary in order for you to be able to do the things that you need to do out there. Your mind is not going to be right. There's going to be issues that are going to be taking place. No matter how strong you are, no matter how disciplined you are, you're going to lack the necessary tools, right, if you don't have the basics. It's the same thing when you look at any other thing in life. You look at education, Right? Education, it's important that you don't just jump from like, you know, diapers into college. Are you here? I mean, think about it, right? Like, how would that work out? Like, think about a five-year-old in college, like China. It wouldn't make no sense, right? It would be a bunch of five-year-olds. Anyway, y'all get the picture. But if you look at your outline there, one of the issues with Common Core material, for those of you that are in the education or have children in school, uh, you may have heard about this thing called Common Core. And so Common Core is a specific standard for, you know, teaching and stuff like that. And the reason why Common Core was an issue is because it violated the basics for many parents. Are you here? All right. Anybody see Incredibles 2? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've seen Incredibles 2. Okay, so maybe that'll give you what I'm trying to say, right? If you saw Incredibles 2, you remember that there was a portion there where the dad, remember the mom, you know, Flexigirl, whatever her name is, I don't even know, Elastigirl, that's a Flexigirl. Elastigirl, I like Flexigirl better. Anyway, um, Elastigirl, right, she goes out, she's a superhero, dad stays home, you know, he's like, okay, I'm going to be this, you know, stay-at-home dad, and he's doing homework with his son, and he's getting all crazy going over math. He's like, what is this, right? Like, this is, and so the point was, it was because he learned math a certain way, right? And I can attest to this because Josiah is in fifth grade, right? I mean, fifth grade. He's five. He's, yeah. He is in, he is in kindergarten. I know, right? I'm already throwing him up there. He is in, there. you know, it's this common core stuff, mess things up. Anyway, so my son is in kindergarten, but he's learning math, right? And as he's learning math, he's learning about greater than and less than, right? So when I look at like greater than and less than, it's not even the same terminology anymore. And, and you have to use the terminology they use because if not, Josiah is going to go to school and he's going to fail. So guess what? We have to learn new basics. Are you here? I don't want to learn basics at 40-something years old. Are you here? I knew those things already. But we have to learn. We have to, we have to grow with this, right? But the beauty, the beauty, the beauty of Christianity is that the common core of our faith never changes. Amen? There's never going to be a day that you're going to have to come and find a new way to get to the same answer. It's always Jesus, right? In church, it's always Jesus, right? You've heard the story, you know, you're, you're in children's church or whatever the case is, and the teacher is saying in there, hey, what has a stripe and brown and furry and a long tail and likes nuts? And the kid is in the class, and he says what? He says, the teacher says, what is it? And she's like, and, you know, the kid says, well, um, you know, it sounds like a squirrel to me, but we're in church, so it must be Jesus. Are you here? And so anyway, the right answer is always Jesus, right? And, and, and it's not to say, listen, if it's a squirrel, it's a squirrel. It's a joke, right? The reality is that the answer to our faith is always Christ. It never 
changes, right? It never changes. The truth is this. Our identity, which is what we're going to deal with today, is rooted in the immutable character of God, secured by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, and is being established in us by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, listen, I don't know, you know, everybody in the room is a believer or not following Jesus. Um, there may be some people that are hearing us, you know, online, you know, through our podcast. You may not be believers. I just said a bunch of big words, right? Immutable, sanctifying, substitutionary, and stuff like that. Here's what I want you to understand. God is immutable. He does not change. Our identity is rooted in a God who does not change. Right? Our identity is rooted in a substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus was the substitute for us. He died in our place. My I don't have to die. Jesus already did that. Are you here? I don't have to sacrifice my life for my salvation. I sacrifice my life for my Savior. That's a different thing. I'm not sacrificing my life because I'm earning something. I sacrifice my life because Jesus already earned something through his sacrifice. And God is sanctifying us. The Holy Spirit is setting us apart, which is what sanctifying is. He is setting us apart from the world. He is setting us apart from the ways of the world, from the thoughts of the world, from the values of the world. He is setting us apart and letting us know that our identity is rooted in what Jesus did. That is the basics of our faith, and that is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of here. I want you to think about this. Once our identity is secure, we will stop pursuing significance. Listen to me. Once our identity is secure, we will stop pursuing significance. Now, listen to me. I'm not telling you that you need to go and that you're going to live a life of insignificance. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is when your identity is secure, you are not trying to prove yourself. You're not trying to secure your own significance. You're not looking at other things to say, this makes me significant. I want you to hear this, and hopefully you can take a deep breath and you can feel a sigh of relief. You are significant because Jesus makes you significant. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have put your faith in Christ, listen, you may have failures in your life. Those things don't make you insignificant. Are you here? Those things don't make you less than. Listen, we all have failures in our lives, but let me help you to understand this as well. All of your successes don't make you more than. Are you here? That's the common core math stuff. Anyway, right? Your successes don't make you more than either because Jesus makes us all equally significant. Are you here? So once our identity is secure, we will stop pursuing significance. We will understand that we have our significance. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't live a life of significance. Are you here? It doesn't mean you sit back and say, hey, I'm significant. Bishop said I'm significant. I'm going to stop being a good husband. I'm going to stop being a good wife. I'm going to stop working. I'm going to stop being responsible. That's not true. You know why? Because what happens is when my identity is secure, I'm not seeking significance. What I'm doing is I'm living out the significance that God has already given me. Are you here? And so here's, here's why we have to grasp our identity in Christ. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our identity issues are Adam's fault. <sighs> it's very rare that you will ever hear me from this pulpit allow you to blame someone else for your issues. Today is that day. You should mark this. This is historic. All right? This is historic. 
I, I always want you to own your sin. I want you to own your wrongdoing. I want you to own your issues, right? I want you to own that. I don't want you to say, I was raised this way. That's the reason why I am like I am. I, was li I lived in this neighborhood. That's the reason why I turned out the way I did. I had only access to these schools. That's the reason. No, no, no. I'm not going to embrace any of that stuff because what I realize is that you don't have to be a statistic in that sense. But can I tell you, there is one area that none of us can escape, and it is the fact that Adam is the reason for all of our identity issues. He is the reason for the identity issues that we have in our lives. See, we, 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 we all, whether we realize it or not, at some point, we struggled with identity. It could have been when we were teenagers and we were struggling. We came to a certain age in our lives and we, we started figuring things out. And we started thinking, man, am I this? Am I that? What am I going to be? And you started struggling with some identity stuff, right? There's some, there's some things when we think about identity in our culture today, right? I, I, I was so saddened, right? Somebody sent me a message and, you know, I, she, she, she was... She was she was weeping because she had to change a form in her school regarding identity of a child. A child who was one gender was now deciding to be another gender. Listen, I, I want you to realize that this is a really tough issue that we wrestle with in one sense because I firmly believe this, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. I firmly believe that there are real struggles with people finding their identity. Like there are people that are really struggling that, are, that, that, that uh, anatomically they are boys, but they struggle. Am I, am I, am I a boy? They're, they're, they're anatomically girls and they're struggling in their mind. Am I really a girl? I feel like this. Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to negate that or deny that. You know why? Because the enemy is a liar. Are you here? The enemy is a liar, and he'll make you believe things. He'll make you think things. And then when you have a culture that is pushing the lies, guess what happens? You start to think what you're feeling is accurate. When you turn on the television in TLC, and you start to see jazz up in there, and you start seeing, hold on a second, this is a boy who has raised a girl, and you look at her now, you look at him now, you think it's her. You would not know that that is a person who was born a boy. You wouldn't know that. And when you start to see their story, all of a sudden, this stuff starts being fed into the minds of our kids. And before they even know anything, before they even understand anything, they're already telling you, hey, well, I, you know, I'm not that. Hold on a second. The struggle is real. I get that. I understand that. And you know why that struggle is there? Because of Adam. The reason why that struggle is there is because of Adam. And so it's easy for us to just say, hey, you know, we can do that. But you know what? There's other people. They struggle with different identities, right? They struggle with different things in their lives. It's not just that, that, that gender identity thing. There's other things that they struggle with. There's other things when it comes to their identity and who they are that they're struggling with. And we can all look back to one person, and that is Adam, and he's the reason for this. And so the Apostle Paul presents the fact that because we were naturally born, hear me now, our identity starts off as what? Sinners. All of us, every one of us, even if you were born a Jew, you are still born a sinner. That's what the scripture says here. Let's look at it together, verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, remember the book of Romans is a logical book. So there's a lot of therefores in there, right? Because Paul is walking you from one thought. He's saying therefore, right? He's saying therefore. So this, but because of this, I want you to get this. Therefore, just as through one man, say one man. As through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
He says, for until the law, right, was sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death, death reigned from Adam to Moses and even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. I love the apostle Paul. He is so explicit in his details. He's confusing at times, but I want you to grasp what he's saying here. He starts off by saying, just as through one man, and I need you to grab, I mean, when you're, when you're looking at this whole portion of scripture, there are two one men in this thing, right? There's two one men. There is one man, that is Adam, and there is another one man, and that is Jesus. And the first one is Adam, and he is the one who, because of his sin, the scripture says, we have all sinned. Now, when you think about this, this is something that, is, I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling, right? And, 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 and. The reason why we struggle with our identity, we seek it, we seek our identity in other things because of what happened with Adam. Adam was walking with God in the cool, in, you know, cool of the garden, the cool of the day. The Bible says God walks in the garden and Adam is hiding from him, which would give us the picture that normatively Adam was what? He was in a relationship with God that was uninhibited by anything. He's walking with the Lord. He's not fearing God in a negative sense. He's what? He's walking with in fellowship and communion. That's what God wants with us. He's not seeking significance. He's not fearing anything he's not figuring stuff out right all of a sudden he eats of this fruit and then he's doing what he's hiding he's trying to cover himself up he's trying to find his own significance so what do we do we try to find our significance in other things as well in our good works we try to find our significance in other things and successes in our lives we try to find significance in what people think about us and what Paul writes to us here is he's saying listen you need to understand that the reason why you're struggling or seeking significance in other things is because you and I are born into sin we're all sinful Every one of us is sinful. We can't run away from that. That's what the Bible teaches. So what does it mean? I want you to think about this for a moment because as you read this with me, you read and you saw, you saw what he said here. He says, for until, verse 13, he says, for until, right, verse 12 is where it says, because all sin. He goes on in verse 13 and he says, for until the law, sin was in the world. Now listen, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So here's what happens. From Adam all the way to Moses, there was no law. Meaning that there was no written law that was there. So when he says all have sinned, hold on a second. What he, he's pointing something out here. He's saying from Adam all the way to Moses, people were still dying. Why? Because they're under this bondage to sin. But what does he mean that all have sinned? Now let's think about this, right? I want you to think, and again, this is for us to build our faith, right? So what he could mean here, what some people will say, is that we're all guilty before God because of our personal sins. This is true, is it not? We're all guilty before God because of our personal sins. That's true, but that's not what Paul is trying to say here. The next thing that it could be is it could be that we have all inherited a sin nature. Again, that's true, but not the apostle's point here. So it's not that we have all sinned and that we're guilty because of our own sins. It's not that we have all gained a sinful nature. What is the apostle Paul introducing to us or trying to help us to understand here? What the apostle Paul is doing is he is introducing us to the concept of headship. It's introduced. We all sinned in Adam. So here's what I want you to know. Way back in the day when Adam ate of the, of the fruit of the tree, guess what happened? Because we are all sons of Adam, you know what happened? We were there literally eating of that tree. We were all there eating of that tree. We were all partaking of that tree. We all sinned the way that Adam sinned. Why? Not the way he sinned in our actions. We sinned when he sinned the first time. It's this thing called headship. Now you're sitting there and you're like, Bishop, that's not fair. I wasn't there. 
right? I mean, come on, are we being honest here? That's not fair. I, why, why am I guilty for something I didn't do? Come on now. For, for y'all young people that got a brother or a sister in your house or you had, you remember them, right? You remember growing up, right? You remember they made a mess. Why? I got to clean it up, right? What do kids, what do kids learn? I mean, my son is, I mean, sometimes he says stuff. I don't know where he got it from. But he's like, Josiah, picked it up. But that's not mine. I didn't ask you that. I didn't ask you if it was yours. Pick it up. I didn't ask you who made the mess. Pick it up. But you know how it is, man. We, we, we want everything to be fair, right? We've learned some things, right? Life is not fair, have we not? We've learned that, right? But here's the reality. You think about that, and it's, and it's mind-boggling for a moment. Can I, can I explain something to you why that is the best thing that could have happened? Here's why. If Adam is not the one that represents us, if we are all not guilty because of that one sin, we cannot have salvation. Are you here? Understand this. Angels, they don't have an option for salvation. The angels that fell, because they are not from one person, they are all created individually. Guess what? Someone would have had to die for every single one of them. But here's what happens. God doesn't want us to be unredeemable like the angels. And because God is all-knowing, he knew that Adam was going to eat of that fruit. He had already prepared a plan, and that plan was that the second or the last Adam was going to come, and he was going to redeem us through the work of what Jesus did. Are you here? See, we should, we should be excited about this reality because while on one side we're like, man, that's not fair. But what the Bible says is that we are all sinful. We are all sinful by nature. We know that. We are all sinful because we're born into sin. We're all sinful because of this head, which is Adam. He is the head of the human race. And so we all have this sinful nature. So Romans 4, 5, 14, the verse says this. It says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, this is what he's, he's making it clear. Death is still happening, right? It's, it's death is occurring. Everybody, when you read the book of Genesis, all the way up until the time that Moses goes up to the mountain, you read over and over again, and this person lived this long and they died. This person lived this long and they died. So he's making it clear. This is what we know. All of this is true because of what? Because sin was in the world, although these people didn't have a law, the only one that had a law was Adam. It was Adam, right? Adam had one law. And what was it? Don't eat of that tree. It was one thing. Well, he had two laws. The one was positive, one was negative. The positive one was be fruitful, multiply, right? He had all of those blessings. And then he had one negative. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Because when you do of that, you're going to die. So what do we have? We have death reigning from, from that time until then. And he said, these people had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam's transgression. We didn't do it. They didn't do the things like Adam did. They weren't breaking any specific command. But, they, but he says this. This is the key, of the key of the verse. Who is a type of him who is to come? Adam is a type of him who is to come. He is a type. He is a, an example of the one that is to come. And so what is Adam? Adam is the head. So let me just give you a couple of things here. Adam is called the figure of him. He's a figure or a type of Christ, right? Adam is a picture of Jesus who is to come. Adam came from the earth, but Jesus is the Lord from heaven. Adam was tested in a garden, surrounded by beauty and love. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and he died on a cruel cross, surrounded by hatred and ungodliness. Adam was a thief and was cast out of paradise. Jesus was turned in what was um, 
turned to a thief and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The Old Testament is the book of the generations of Adam. You see that in Genesis 5, verse 1. And it ends with a curse in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, and verse 6. The New Testament, on the other hand, is the book of the generations of Jesus Christ. We see that in Matthew, chapter 1, and we all see that in Luke, chapter 4. And it ends with no more curse in Revelation, chapter 22, and verse 3. Here's what I want you to get and why this is important. is because you and I cannot help being in Adam for this came from us being born are you here you can't do anything about being in Adam you are in Adam that is that is how you and I are born but you and I can help staying in Adam are you here you don't have to stay in Adam. You don't have to stay in him. You don't have to have him as your head. You don't have to have him as the one that you identify with or that you're trying to get your identity from. You can experience a second birth, a new birth from above that will put you in Christ. And this is why Jesus said, you must be born again. Are you here? We have to be born again. We have to be given new life. Because of what? Because we are born into sin because of what Adam did. The second thing, and you already know this one, but say this with me. Jesus is the solution to our identity issues. So I just said we can't help being in Adam, but we can help being, staying in Adam. We don't have to stay in Adam. We can come out of Adam, and we can come into Christ by the sacrifice Jesus made. So here in verses 15 through 19, the apostle unpacks for us the contrasting acts, the two acts of one, or the one acts of two men. There are two men that are going to be represented here. Two heads is what I want you to see. Two kings is what I want you to see. Adam was the first king of the earth. Jesus is the last king of all. He's the king of kings. That's who Jesus is. And so Jesus comes to the earth to be the one to do some things for us. And so these contrasts, I want you to get this. These contrasts that are here clearly show us how we go from death to life. Are you here? They show us how we go from death because we are born into sin, because we inherit this sinful nature from Adam, because Adam is the head of all of creation. And so what happens is we are born into sin. And how do we go from being born into sin to being born again in, in Christ? It is because of these two contrasting things that we have here. So what we know is this, very important. Everyone on the planet, no matter how good they are, no matter what family they were born into, no matter what they have, no matter what successes they have, no matter how their lives look, understand this, they are all born into sin under the headship of Adam. I need you to grasp that. Every one of us is born under that condemnation. That is a reality that none of us can run away from. But here's what it also shows us. You need to grasp this, that just the same way that all of humanity is under that same condemnation, all of humanity has access to the same grace to be saved. Are you here? You got to get that. You got to, because if you don't grasp this, you're going to me mess up other theological things in your life. You're going to mess up understanding other things in your life. What you have to get is that what these scriptures teach, not what I'm saying, what these scriptures teach us is that all of us, every single one of us is born into sin. Every person walking this planet is under the same condemnation. And the only way that God can be just is if he offers every single one of them the same hope of salvation by grace through Jesus Christ. Are you here? That's the, only way that, that, that's the only way that that's just. That's the only way that's right. And Paul makes it clear for us. So let's look at these verses together as we look at these two acts. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Adam's one act is rebellion. And we're going to look at that versus Jesus Christ's one act of redemption. Adam's one act is rebellion. And we're going to look at that versus Jesus Christ's one act of redemption. 
And so the first thing that we see, verses 15 to 16, was, what's the first contrast that he shows us? The offense versus the free gift. The first thing we see is the offense versus the free gift. So let's look at that together. Let's run through this. And so he says in verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the offense. So what he's saying is there's a difference. There's a contrast here. For if by the one man, again, hear that word, one man's offense, many died, which is all, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And so what do we see here? We see Adam's offense brought condemnation and death, while the free gift, and I want to point out, the free gift is what? Eternal life. It's salvation. That's what the free gift is. It is a gift that is by grace, and that grace brings what? Justification in life. So again, let me say it again. Verses 15 through 16, they show us the offense versus the gift. Adam's offense brought condemnation and death, while the free gift of grace by Jesus Christ brings justification in life. The second thing, verse 17 shows us death versus life. Look at verse 17. It says, for if by one man's offense death reigns, through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? By one person, death reigned. By one person's offense, death reigned. That's what, that's what happened. There was a reign of death that was there. But through one man, but through the other man's act, this grace, those who receive, I want you to get that. You have to receive this. This is not something that, 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 you just, that, that you're just given. Are you here? It's offered. There's a difference. It's offered to you, but you have to receive it. See, here's the thing. We have a responsibility. When God makes an offer, it's like someone tells you, hey, man, I have a car for you. All you got to do is come pick it up. Brand new. Someone told you that. Would you go get it? Come on now. Everybody be like, yes, I'm going. You'll be like, hold on a second. What are the strings attached? Right? Like, what, 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 what are the strings attached? What is it? What is it that I, you, you, and once you make sure there's no fine print and all that kind of stuff, and you, you're going to go over there and you're going to pick up your new car, right? That's what you're going to do because it's a good offer. If you realize that the offer is a bad offer, you're going to be like, you know, someone tells you, hey, I got a new car for you, but you're going to have to make this payment every month. You're going to be like, nah, uh-uh. Right? I mean, unless you can afford the payment, and you're like, okay, I'll do that, whatever. But the thing is, if someone tells you I have something for you, there's no strings attached, they're, they're saying, listen, here it is. All you got to do is receive it. All you have to do, you know what that word receive means? If you're taking notes, write it down. The word receive there, it means to take hold of. For those who take hold of abundant grace, for those who grasp, for those who reach for, for those who accept the gift. That's where you get the idea of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is receiving abundant grace. It is taking hold of abundant grace. Verse 18, it said, it's this. So what, what, so what happened in verse 17? I'm sorry. Verse 17, death reigned as king because of Adam, but now believers reign in life. See, this is the beautiful thing. Jesus, uh, he shares his reign with us because we reign in this life, not later, but now. We reign in life through what? Through Christ and abundant life, that Zoe life, right? That life that Christ really wants us to have because of our identity in him. Verse 18, condemnation versus justification. So we see this here, verse 18. Therefore, again, there's another therefore. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Listen now. 
resulting in condemnation. What did I say earlier? I said judgment came to all men. It came to everyone. Everyone is under the same condemnation. What does he go on to say? He says, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I want you to understand something. When you look at this verse, people take this verse out of context very often. And what they want to say is that this verse means that everybody is going to be saved. Because what I just said was everybody is under condemnation. I just said that, right? Everyone's under condemnation. That's what the Bible, that's what the verse says. But you have these people that they are what we would call universalists. Universalists believe this. They believe that everybody is going to be saved no matter what. No matter what religion you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what, no, no matter anything, you are going to be saved because, and they bank on this verse. But I want you to get the reason why this verse is, um, verse 17 is so important. The reason why I pointed out the word receive is because if you don't receive abundant of grace, guess what? You stay under condemnation. Are you here? If you don't accept it, God is not going to force himself upon you, right? God's not going to force you. He's not, he, he's not going to. He's not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to take, he's not going to make you do anything, right? He's not going to do that. That is not going to happen. He offers you something. He says, listen, I don't want you to be under condemnation. I don't want you to be. That's the message that we have. Y'all understand this, right? That's the message of hope that we bring to this world, that they are under condemnation for sure. They need to know that. But we need to also let them know that they are in a place where God is saying, I don't want you to remain under condemnation. I have made provision for you, and I am offering you abundant grace. I am offering you a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. And when you receive it, guess what? You go from the place of, of death to life. You go from the place of condemnation to justification. You go from the place of disobedience to obedience. Here's the thing. Verse 19 shows us Adam disobeyed God and made us all sinners. Christ obeyed God and through faith in him we will be made righteous. We need to be clear. We need to clearly understand this. Now, now hear me when I say this. God sees humanity in two categories. Please, please grasp this. When God looks at the world, he sees us in two categories. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. He doesn't see those people who are almost in Christ. He doesn't see those people that are kind of Christian. Guess what kind of Christian is? In Adam. Guess what good people who haven't put their faith in Jesus are? In Adam. Listen, that's sobering, right? It's sad because we have some people that we know are good people. We have some people that we know that, man, they, they ain't killing anybody. They're not hurting anyone. They just haven't put their faith in Jesus. Listen, it saddens me to say that. That's the reason why our hearts need to be moved with the mission that God has given us. Because they need to be given the offer. They need to be hearing from you and I that, look, you are in Adam, but you can be in Christ. And listen, let me just say this really quickly as I move on to the next point. Don't go walking up to me and say, hey, you're in Adam, you cannot be in Christ. They're going to be like, what on earth are you talking about? Okay? Like, at minimum, sh share the link from this message and be like, hey, listen to this and let's talk about it. Something like that. Right? Hopefully they'll understand what you're trying to say. But if you I don't think that's a real good event. Maybe it is a good event. Maybe just walk away. Hey, you know you're an Adam. Be like, what are you talking about? Be like, hey, let me explain that to you. Right? And then you're going to be having a long conversation. What I'm saying is we need to offer people the freedom from the condemnation that they are in. 
And we have to realize the way that God sees humanity is either, he, he sees them either in Christ or in Adam. Understand this, Pastor Aldo talked the other week, he talked about that really tough teacher, that, that teacher that didn't round up, right? The, the, the teacher didn't, didn't grade on a curve. I want you to know, Jesus is the same way as that teacher. God is the same way as that teacher. He doesn't grade on a curve. He grades on a cross. Are you here? He grades on a cross. If you put your faith in the one who was on the cross, you're good to go. If you don't, hey, it's sad. It's a sad reality. But you are not in Christ because you have not trusted what Jesus did on the cross for you. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our new identity, our new identity. is secured by the reign of grace. Our new identity is secured by the reign of grace. The apostle closes his contrast with one final contrast. Look at it with me, verse 20 to verse 21. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Why did the law come? See, what Paul does here is, remember, he knows. It's kind of like me when I'm preaching a couple of moments ago, right, earlier, and when I talked about when Adam ate of the fruit, that we were all there literally eating of the fruit, right? And, you, and, and I knew that many of you, because first of all, you were super quiet, more quiet than normal at this 9 o'clock hour, but you were super quiet. I knew you were like thinking, but that ain't fair. That's messed up. Like you were, like you were trying to accuse God right there. I knew that, right? Because what? Because I'm a human being like you, not because I'm so intuitive. Hello? Because when I read these things, I'm like, man, that's messed up, man. Like I was not there. And I'm, what I want you to know is that the same way Paul is doing this here, and the reason why he backs up to this, he circles back around to the law, he's, he's already dealt with this topic, but he knows there's somebody that's sitting there, and he's like, hey, what about the law? So why was the law given? You know why? I'm going to tell you why this question comes up. Because from Adam to Jesus, guess what is in the middle of that? The law. All these years, these Jewish people have been doing what? They're like, hey, we got to be circumcised. Hey, we got to do things like this. I mean, you go through the law. Go on ahead and read those 600 some odd laws that were there. They were like trying to live those things the way that they needed to be in the Old Testament. So someone's like, well, what was the law for? Let me tell you why the law came in. The law didn't come in to save you. What the law did was it came in to show you you couldn't save yourself. Are you here? It came in to show you the depth of your sin. How does that happen? Because what the law said was, listen, how about this? If you can keep my law perfectly, you save yourself. You don't need Jesus. That's what the law says. If you can live this perfectly, you don't need Jesus. You can save yourself. You know, we have found thousands of years, you know, a couple thousand years later, and thousands and thousands of people from then till now, is nobody is capable of keeping the law. From way from the time that the law was given to Moses all the way to the time of Jesus, no one was able to keep the law perfectly. And from the time of Jesus to present day, no one has been able to keep the law perfectly according to God's standards. So what does God do? He says it clearly. He says this. He goes on and he says to us, he says, but, look at the second part of that verse. He says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. See, this is a verse to get excited about. Where sin abounded, what, what, what Paul says is the law came in to illuminate our sin. The law came in to show us that we could not save ourselves. And when the law came in and showed us how despicable we were, it showed us how sinful we were. You know what God did at the same time? He showed us how gracious he is. You ever read the Old Testament and you wonder, why didn't God kill them? You ever read that? Anybody? Right? You ever read something like, man, why didn't God kill them people? You know why? Grace. Even in the Old Testament, we see God's grace and mercy. 
We don't see salvation by grace in the same way that we see in the New Testament, but we see salvation by grace in the Old Testament sense, and then not because people were perfect. I mean, obviously, the people of Israel weren't perfect. You see them, they walked around the desert for 40, de- for 40 years because of what? Because of their imperfection, and yet some of them, right, were able, their children at minimum, they were able to enter into the promised land. Why? Because God is gracious. He still delivered them from Egypt. They may have not entered over there, but they were delivered from the bondage and slavery in Egypt. He provided for them in the desert. Is that not God's grace? That is God's grace 100%. The Bible tells us in the beginning of the book of Exodus what? It says that God heard the cry of his people rising to him because of their slavery and he sent Moses to them to do what? To let them know that God was releasing them from this bondage and so even though they were rebels and they were disobedient and some of them experienced some of the things that were, be, that, that were results of their sin and some of the condemnations there, others of them were able to walk around that desert for 40 years and God provided for them graciously. We see God's grace throughout all of the Bible, throughout all of Scripture. We see his grace. And in the New Testament, we see the greatest picture of grace in Jesus Christ. And so what we realize is what the law, and and, and grasp this with me, the law doesn't motivate us to obedience. It deters us from disobedience typically. Like a lot of times look at the law, we're like, yeah, you know, I'm not really worried about keeping the law. I'm worried about breaking the law. Hello. I'm worried about the consequences. Like you're driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign there and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I really don't care about doing 45 miles right now. I'd really like to do 65 miles an hour. The reason I'm not going to do it, if you're not crazy, is because what? It's because I don't know where somebody, where a police officer may be posted up and catch me. Are you here? I mean, we're just being honest, right? I mean, we're, I, I, you know, I, I, I know that I'm not the only amazing driver in Florida. Amen. <laughs> and so nonetheless... We have this thing, but here's what I want you to realize is ultimately what that does, what the law does, it leads to death, but grace, listen to me now, grace empowers our obedience, motivated by love that leads to righteousness and eternal life. See, here's what happens. Is when my heart is rocked by the grace of God, when I understand the magnitude of what Jesus did, when I understand what we talked about last week and what we've been talking about, when we talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus, when I understand that fully, you know what I grasp? What I grasp is, man, God really loves me. And because I understand his great love for me, you know what I want to do? I'm not worried about hell anymore. I want to honor him. I want to glorify him. I want to live for him. And that means what? That I will obey him, I will live righteously, not because I'm trying to earn my significance, but because he has already declared my significance, I want to live for his glory. And so here's what I realize about the law. The law will beat you down until you either find security in a functional savior like your accomplishments and your successes, or worse, addictions and vices, or you receive the abundant grace made possible by the one true savior who accomplished success that we can never accomplish. See, what will happen is this, is that when my life is dominated by the law, I just feel a sense of condemnation always. I feel a sense, when I, sit, when, when I learn about all the things I have to do, I never feel adequate enough. And listen, this is not only God's law. This could be the law of your wife. This could be the law of your husband. Hello. This could be the law of your, child, of, of your parents. Children, you ain't got no laws yet. Hello. Glory to God. My daughter and I were talking the other day. We were talking about opinions. She's like, yeah, we don't get opinions until we're like 18. I said, maybe. Come on now. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Until they move out. Anyway. um, (laughs) You have opinions. I mean, you know, we'll deal with that in another parenting class. But today, I got two minutes to wrap up. (sighs) 
I'm actually way over, but I just want you to know, <laughs> I want you to know that it is so important that we grasp the fact that God doesn't want us to be beat down by the law. God doesn't want us to find a functional savior. He doesn't want us to find success and be like, yes, I've arrived. He doesn't want us to find accomplishment and be like, yes, I arrived. He doesn't want us to find, to be bound in our vices and our, and, and our, and our different sinful things and be like, yes, that makes me feel good. So I'm not worried about the law beating me down. What he wants us to do is experience his abundant grace that will lead us to live righteously and ultimately us experiencing eternal life. And so my closing question is this. Does your life reflect the reign of grace, which is life? Or the reign of the law, which is death. Does your life reflect the reign of grace, which is life, or the reign of the law, which is death? And I just gave you that example about you being beat down by the law, by you being beat down by the things that God requires or that people require. Maybe your life is like that. Maybe you are, I mean, you are just being beat up by all of the demands that are there, never feeling like you're good enough. Listen, I hope today you walk away free. I hope today you walk away understanding God doesn't want you to be walking around uh, experiencing the reign, of, the, the reign of death. He wants you to experience the reign of his grace. Amen? Let's all stand on our feet and let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for your love, for your grace. Thank you for your kindness today, Lord God. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord God, those that are here today and, and even those that are listening to us online, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would liberate us from the bondages that we have found ourselves in, God. Believers in this place that, Lord, are still walking under the bondage of the law. Heavenly Father, experiencing the beating up of the law. Lord, let them run to you today. Let us trust you today with our lives. Let us not live under the condemnation that the law brings, but let us live under the joy that your grace brings. Let us live under the peace that your grace brings. I pray for anyone in this place or hearing us online, God, that may not know you. God, may you draw their hearts to you today. May they come to you. May they decide not to be in Adam any longer, but to be in Christ. May they decide to receive the gracious free gift that you offer them today, God. Father, we pray that you would continue to help us to be a people that don't just live your grace, but share it with others. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.